I'm Richard Grun. Welcome to The Porch here on Firefall Talk Radio. This is where we get back to basics, the red-letter basics, following the example of the Book of Acts Church, taking a deeper look into the Word of God, no filter, not watering it down, finding the church the Lord intended, not the one that man created. The Porch has always been about restoring the priesthood of the believer regaining the world-shaking influence and power that they once had, and shaking the world one last time before the return of the king. If you have any questions, go to firefalltalkradio.com. You can reach us there, or you can write us at the porch, lowercase one word, at firefalltalkradio.com. If you'd like to support what we do, and we appreciate those of you that do, there are ways to do that at the bottom of the homepage. Pray and do as the Lord leads. We appreciate the emails and the support and all the things that you've done for us. This is for you. There's no income for me. There's no profit to be made. Whatever comes in goes out. We're heard on various streaming services. Um, some we paid for, some we don't. You can always found us. find us on Spreaker.com. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. We're also heard on Blog Talk Radio, SoundCloud, and Podbean. We, we start out praise reports and prayer requests. If you don't want to participate in this part, the community part of the porch, just go right to the sound of the shofar and into the Bible study. But we start out by praising him. Praise Him for everything I have, my life, my salvation, my family, um, this home. Everything He's given me, I praise Him for. I praise Him for this ministry and being able to work for Him and do what I do, teaching the Word of God, sharing the Word of God, setting the captives free. I'm thankful for His provision and His faithfulness and His protection. He really does care for us. And he does watch over us for the dreams and the visions as we live out Joel 2.28 in the day of Pentecost, which we believe is ongoing. The fire of the upper room still burns. Praise him for his healing virtues and divine health. Right now, change of weather, lots of things going on. As you can hear, I'm a little raspy. I'm fighting um, some allergies. But we endure. We press on. Praise Him for divine abiding favor. Though it doesn't always feel that way, we are always walking in His favor. He gives us revelation. He gives us encouragement. Through His Holy Spirit, He teaches us the Word. We are new creation, names written in the Lamb's book of life. We start our prayer by praying for the peace of Jerusalem, Psalm 122, verse 6. May they prosper who love you. I pray for Israel. I pray for its leadership. I pray for everything to be in accordance with his will. And if it's not, then we pray he'll fix it. Pray that for America. America needs to be fixed. We need to get our eyes back on him. We need to start living by the word. We need to get back to the Lord. Praying for his grace, forgiveness, to intervene for people being victimized by their leaders. A lot of craziness right now. It's very difficult to get away from it. Praying for the fatherless and the widows, the persecuted, the martyred, the innocents, the poor in spirit, and those who are victims of injustice, the slaughter of the innocents both in and out of the womb, both human and animal. For the missing and exploited children, the victims of sex trafficking, I pray that the Lord would intervene. For our brothers and sisters around the world being slaughtered and persecuted for their faith, I saw an alert today that the Taliban is actively hunting down people, Christians, in Afghanistan to kill them. So keep your brothers and sisters in prayer. Persecution, anti-Semitism, Everything indicates we're winding down and we're getting closer to the unveiling of the Antichrist. We see the spirit of the Antichrist about and we push back. 
We pray against it. We ask for the Lord to hold it back. Let us finish the job. Let's get ready for the return of the king. To do that, we need to be healthy and whole. We need divine wholeness, health, and healing. Getting back to our divine design. So if you need healing, speak it. Claim it. Believe it. Receive it in Yeshua's name. I pray that Psalm 91 covering upon each and every one of us for divine inspiration to guide us. For those that have been blessed to be a blessing, we need provision. Not just us, not just the porch, not just firefall or SRT, the remnant, those that are actually doing the job. We need support for the doors to open, for the missions to be completed, for the dreams to be fulfilled. And for our lost family members, we pray them into the kingdom. I'm praying for, ask you for prayer for my wife, Deb. She's on a cruise with a friend. Uh, right now, some storms are brewing in the Atlantic and the Caribbean. Praying for traveling mercies this weekend. Uh, Stacy in Fort Mitchell. Not going to go into great, not Fort Mitchell, she's in Texas. Kim's in Fort Mitchell. Uh, Stacy in Texas. I'm asking for prayer for her family. Healing, restoration, guidance for her brothers going through a difficult time right now. So we just ask you to keep them in prayer. And Kim in Fort Mitchell again has an unspoken prayer request. So, Father, <clears throat> we come to you. We boldly approach the throne of grace and mercy, saying, Abba, Father, Papa, God, Daddy. We need you. We need a touch from you. We need a word from you. But most of all, we love you. We thank you. We are grateful that you loved us when we were unlovable. Thank you for Yeshua, for the cross, the shedding of blood, for the remission of our sins. We thank you for the empty tomb. We thank you for the upper room. We thank you for the Holy Spirit whom we are learning more about so that we can do like the Book of Acts Church, walk in unity and in power with the Holy Spirit to fulfill the Great Commission. So we pray for the technology. We pray for this word. We pray that you have your way. Do as you will. And Lord, touch your children tonight. We pray all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. Combination of that information, the matter presented is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. So we're still talking about the upper room. Tonight we're going to talk about the boldness we got in the upper room, upper room boldness. And as I've been saying, the upper room changed everything, not just for the church, but for the world. And I believe this is a time for those of us that are of the remnant to get fired up. Last week I pointed out to you that the upper room fire brings passion. Passion for God, passion for the Lord, passion for the church, for the lost, passion for the call to fulfill the Great Commission, and passion for his return. Passion brings boldness. It's a zeal. It's a power. It's an explosive energy that propels you forward. Now we're going to stay in the book of Acts for a little while. And I want to show you how this boldness came about. We know from Acts chapter 2, they were all waiting in the upper room, waiting for the promise of the Father, 120. And there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, as of fire. And there appeared tongues of fire upon each of them. 
and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Well, the reason for that is that there were a lot of people in Jerusalem. Every nation under heaven was there to celebrate the feast. Shavuot, Pentecost, after Passover. They're all waiting and they hear this sound. They hear this commotion. They see the 120 spill out into the streets. And they heard them praising God in their own language. And they were all amazed because they looked and saw that they were Galileans. And all the people heard them in their own language. Now some say that because they were speaking that language... Some say they were speaking in tongues, and the people heard it, interpreted in their ear. I'm just going to tell you what the Word says. They were speaking in other tongues, languages they did not speak before, whether human or angelic. And the people were hearing them praise God. And they were amazed, and they were perplexed, and they looked at one another, and they asked that question I built on last week, whatever could this mean? And, of course, the first thing people did was mock them. Oh, they're drunk. They're full of new wine. It's what happens next that confirms that the boldness of the Holy Spirit, the boldness of the upper room had taken place. Because Peter, standing with the twelve, raised his voice so that everybody could hear him. This is men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and heed my words. He wasn't going to let them not hear him. That's bold. That's bold from a man that ran. A man that denied the Lord. This is a different man coming out of the upper room. He was bold enough to tell the truth to the crowds, even though he knew they didn't want to hear what he had to say. And he said it anyway. And after he spoke prophecy and talked about the second chapter of Joel and how this all tied together, people had another question. What shall we do? And in boldness, verse 38, he says, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah for the remission of sins, so that you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is to you and your children, and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Out of that boldness, we know that the book of Acts church grew. They got baptized. 3,000 men that day Women and children would have possibly made that a third larger, even doubled it. And then they began to gather with the disciples, gather with the Buck of Acts Church. They continued steadfastly in doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread, which was both communion and eating together and in prayer. And... Because of their boldness and what people were seeing, fear came upon the populace and many signs and wonders were being done. That's boldness. They took care of one another. They were bold about it. They sold possessions. If somebody had a need, it got met. And they got together daily, meeting on Solomon's porch, breaking bread from house to house ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God, having favor with all people. And because of that, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. The book of Acts church was born from upper room fire, from the boldness that began with Peter and began to take over the other disciples. So what happens next? In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are going to the temple for prayer. And there's a man who's been lame from birth, who's been sitting at the gate begging, sees John and Peter, asks them for alms, 
And Peter, in boldness, tells the beggar, look at us. And so he does, expecting to be given something. And Peter says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankles, the bones in his legs, got healed. This is a man lame from his mother's womb. And so he began leaping and praising God and entered the temple with them. Sign of the Messiah, the lame shall walk. And all the people saw him and they began to praise God because they knew who he was. They'd seen him every day when they went to temple at the beautiful gate. So what happens? Peter, in his boldness, preaches a similar sermon that he did on the day of Pentecost. And another 5,000 men get saved. You see a pattern here? Holy Spirit, boldness, miracles, salvation, boldness, salvation. It, it's what I believe the church is lacking today. But there's a price. They get arrested for preaching and for the miracle. Go to Acts chapter 4. I'm giving you the uh, kind of condensed version. I'm not reading word for word unless I have to because I have so many things I want to share with you. So they get arrested. They're put in jail overnight. And on the next day, the rulers, elders, and scribes, if you're following with me, it's Acts 4, starting verse 5 as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and many who were of the family of the high priest. They're gathered, of course, in Jerusalem, just like everybody else. And they bring Peter and John in. And they ask him a question. By what power or by what name have you done this? Whose authority have you done this under? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, speaks out boldly. Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means has he been made, he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel by the name of Jesus, the Messiah of Nazareth, whom you crucified whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man stands before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other name, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Boldness. So they consider what to do. They decide they can't do a whole lot because so many people saw it happen. So they command them not to speak or teach in the name of Yeshua anymore. But Peter and John say to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God you judge, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So they threatened him a little more and let him go, finding no way to punish them, because the people who had seen the miracle all glorified God for what was done. For the man that was healed was over 40 years old. There was no way to deny this healing. Peter and John were bold enough to say, we're just simply going to tell the truth. We're going to testify to the truth. So they go back to their companions. Further down, verse 23, Acts 4. And they tell them what happens. And they report all that the chief priests and elders said to them. 
And at that moment, they begin to pray. They raise their voice in unity. And they say, Lord, you are God, who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David has said. Now, folks, listen to this, please. We need to get to the place where we have this boldness, where we cry out to God for more. Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and their rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For truly against your holy servant Yeshua, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your promise determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Yeshua. And when they prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit again, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. They spoke the word of God with boldness. It takes boldness to speak about the Lord in a fallen world under the power of the enemy. The world and the enemy want to shut it down. They want to shut you up permanently if they must. Chapters 11 and 12 of the book of Revelation tells us what happens when the people testify on the earth and the beast out of the pit and the dragon attack and kill them. Revelation 12:11, And they overcame him, the dragon by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death because they were going to die. Many of them did. We hear later on the saints crying out for justice to him, for the, their blood. The enemy hates your testimony. They hate the boldness that it takes for you to tell it. And we see the book of Revelation, as horrible as it can be, gives us messages of endurance and perseverance in the face of trouble. And it shows us that no matter what, he's our refuge and he'll make a way of escape for his people even if that escape is to bring you home to him. Boldness is what it's going to take to change the church and the world. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. We're going through tough times right now. We're going through squeezing. We're going through a, a uh, chastening from God and attacks from the enemy. But this is the time. You need to be ready with boldness, to give your testimony. See, I have a testimony, a testimony of grace, of mercy, truth, and power, and divine intervention. I've said this many times, but I really don't believe people want to be thumped over the head with a Bible. Well, I know they don't want to be thumped over the head with a Bible. You spouting scripture and telling them they're going to hell? For the most part, I don't believe that works. 
Most people in bondage know they're in bondage. They may not want to admit it, but they don't need you poking the wound or throwing salt into it. But what they do want to know is what has Yeshua, what has Jesus done for you? Tell me your story, and then I'll decide if I want to believe. Then I'll decide if I want to receive. When you have the boldness and the presence of the Holy Spirit inside of you, the story you give, that testimony will change their life. We need that. Boy, do we need it. 1 John chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. This is the Amplified. The one who believes in the Son of God, who adheres to, trusts in, and relies confidently on Him as Savior, has the testimony within Himself, because He can speak authoritatively about Messiah from His own personal experience. You are a living ark of the testimony. For those who do not believe in God in this way have made him out to be a liar because he has not believed in the evidence that God has given regarding his son. And the testimony is this. God has given us eternal life. We already possess it. And this life is in his son, resulting in our spiritual completeness an eternal companionship with him. That should get you excited. If it doesn't, we have a problem. I have never understood, and I still don't, all these years later, how people can't get excited about what Yeshua did for them. See, I have a fire in my bones and a zeal for the Lord because I remember what I was like before I got saved. I know what he's done for me, so I live it out. I know that he who's been forgiven much loves much, and I've been forgiven, oh boy, very much. And to whom much is given, much is required. Right after I got saved in October of 1988, and I went back to New York, I was uh, living in my apartment. Just me, no roommate. Rent was pretty cheap back then. And I set up my little altar, like I told you. It was a box that I put a tablecloth over, and I put my Bible on it, and I would kneel at it and pray. And as I was reading the word, the Lord took me to Luke 4, verses 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Now I know the prophet Isaiah was referring to the year of Jubilee. But I personalized Luke 4, 18 and 19. That's my foundational scripture. Because that's what the Lord did for me. So in boldness... Upper Room Boldness. I want to talk a little bit about where we are right now. It's October. Halloween will be this weekend. And as I mentioned the other day, it just dawned on me 33 years later that the Lord saved me and redeemed me a couple of weeks before Halloween. He set me free from a bondage to the occult, the New Age, and witchcraft just before Halloween. At the point he saved me, I'm almost completely possessed. I'm sleeping in a bed of crystals. I'm sleeping with crystals on strategic points of my body. I'm practicing astral projection while I'm sleeping, which means I'm 
jumping out of my body just before I get into that complete sleep state and traveling in the spirit realm. Very interesting that many years later I discovered that my maternal ancestral lineage, my grandmother, came from an area in Italy that there were men known as Benendante who used to fight the witches in the spirit realm by doing astral projection. See, that's what I thought I was doing. I thought I was a good person. I thought I had special gifts given to me by God. That was a lie. He didn't give me those gifts. Came through my blood lineage. Why would he give me a gift that was forbidden in the Bible? Now, at that point, I'm a Roman Catholic. And here I am, sleeping in a bed full of crystals, doing astral projection, doing the things I was doing with witchcraft. And I'm still praying to God. I'm still praying the Our Father, the Hail Mary. And believe me, I could machine gun it out, machine gun it out quickly. I'm still talking to Jesus, the Jesus I had encountered at a young age at a ranch camp that turned out to be run by a Baptist preacher. But I'm not born again. I'm not following the Lord. And I've always said Satan must have been gritting his teeth, grinding them together. Because here he is giving me these gifts, grooming me for his kingdom. And I'm talking to the ones that kicked him out. But what I didn't know, I was reliving the sins of the Father. Because come October 1988, I'm not with my family. My family's in Tallahassee, Florida. I'm in New York. I'd walked out of my family. I decided that I was done being married. I was going to pursue my goals as an actor and uh, all that went with it. I had a son. I was an Italian, had a firstborn son. I'm good to go. Not too long after we separated, Deb calls me up and says, you better sit down, I'm pregnant. And I was so cold. People that are involved in the occult, people that have sold out to the darkness are very cold. I said to her on the phone, do what you have to do. I have my son. And I hung up the phone and my mother looked at me said, who are you? I don't even recognize you. Now, my mother was a dyed-in-the-wool Catholic till the day she died. She understood the supernatural because her mother moved in gifts. My mother never did. She never believed in them. So it skipped her and came to me. She had found the initial books I had bought on witchcraft and astral projection and all those kind of things when I was a freshman in high school. And she threw them out. And I bought them again and hid them better. My mother didn't have any knowledge of those things. She didn't know what to do. She didn't know what to say. She really didn't know what I was doing. And I don't need to go into great detail about what I was doing because I don't want to create fascination, but I was I was steeped in demonic power. I could part crowds in Manhattan if I wanted to. In fact, I had gotten to the point where the girl who was grooming me, the girl that I met in the health club I worked at, who was into healing and crystals and all those things long before the New Age had become popular, I went to her house one day to pick up a new batch of crystals. And when I walked into her apartment in Manhattan, her cat, who was her familiar, ran and hid. She looked at the cat and looked at me and says, here's your order, don't come back. And I went, why? Because you scare me. I said, you're doing things that I have never dreamed of. You're reading and understanding books that are way beyond my comprehension. And I've been doing this for my whole life. And whatever is in you, my cat is deathly afraid of. Don't come back. 
I just sort of shrugged my shoulders, smiled, and left because I didn't really care. But she was right. I was way, way beyond where she was. So I've walked out of my family. I'm living in New York. I'm pursuing these things. But the Lord creates a series of events that gets my wife into a church in Tallahassee, Florida. Excuse me. Her brother John had been a minister of music at a very large church out in Phoenix, Arizona. Associate minister, he wasn't the main guy. And he wound up taking the job to be the lead minister of music at a Pentecostal holiness church in Tallahassee, Florida. He went from a church of multiple thousands to a church of about a thousand. So that when I walked out of my family, my wife had no place else to go but to move to Tallahassee with her brother at this church with a pastor who could help me. All things work together for good. But at this point, I may be called, but I don't know the Lord. I don't love him. But he has set up a chain of events that get me to somebody who can minister to me. Now, what if Pastor Shelley who became my pastor, and you've heard me talk about him and my mentor and spiritual father. What if he had rejected me? What if he had spouted scripture and told me I was going to hell? What if he had done anything but what he did? I wouldn't be here. But instead, he just loved on me, took me out to lunch, listened to what I had to say, and I enjoyed his company. See, I went to, God took me to a place with a man that I could relate to. Remember, I'm a New York Street Italian. I've been a celebrity bodyguard. No Casper Milk Toast preachers going to know what to do with me. Most preachers wouldn't have known what to do with demon-possessed me. Bob Shelley, crop-dusting pilot who crashed his plane multiple times, rode horses, motorcycles, golden glove boxer. He was a man's man. He used to wear these really expensive suits that he were either given to him or um, he got at a discount with cowboy boots. And he was a great preacher and teacher, but I could relate to him. So he just loved on me over a period of time while they're interceding for me, while they're praying for me. But I can tell you that when I walked into the church the first time and my wife kind of manipulated me into it, I'd gone down to visit Jesse. I wasn't going to church. I'm a New York Italian. I'm a Catholic. Why would I go to a church with a bunch of holy rollers? So Deb was smart. She guilted me into it. She said, well, if you don't go to church... Jesse's going to want to stay home with you. Then once you leave, it's going to be difficult for me to get him back in the church. I went, but I decided I was going to have some fun. So I put on a pair of black military SWAT pants, black shoes, white shirt and tie, motorcycle leather jacket with a cubic zirconia at my ear and slicked my hair back. I still had hair then. And decide if I'm going to go to church, I'm going to have some fun. She had to go be with the choir, so I walk in by myself. Jesse goes off to children's church. And some people took that as a cue to get in my face. Tell me I was going to hell for what I'd done to my wife and what it did to my kids. And how everything I was doing was wrong. And they made two mistakes. One, that wasn't the biblical way to do it. Two, I had more demonic knowledge than they had godly knowledge. And I had fun tying them up in knots and getting them all frustrated and angry. Shelly didn't do that. Shelly ministered to me in love. So I would go down and I'd visit. I'd go out to lunch with Shelly, who would always make sure to make time for me. 
Now, during this time, I'm still in New York. I'm still doing what I'm doing. But the enemy that used to be my friend, the spirits that were visiting me in my apartment, are now not so friendly because they know something I don't. People are praying for me, and I'm about to get saved. They started threatening me. They started to threat the baby in Deb's womb. Turned out to be my son Christopher. Now, I may have thrown away my family, but I'm a New York Italian. Don't you threaten my family. Now I'm starting to realize that something's not right. This interaction has changed. We're not friends anymore. So I began to tell Shelley what was going on, and he began to explain to me what it was all about. Then I began to tell him about the people in his church that were plants of the enemy, because the enemy warned me, you think you can go there to get get help, but we have people there. And he showed me the faces of those people. So when I went down, I saw who they were. So October 7th of 1988, Shelley takes me out to lunch. It's Friday. We go to a place called Julie's. I don't even know if it's still there. It's where he would take people to lunch. Food was good. So I tell him about this recent threat and visitation. I tell him about the people in the church that are there to do him harm. And he says, I know. You're just confirming what I, I knew. He said, except for one thing. He said, there's one thing that I disagree with you on. And I said, what's that? He said, you tell me you're not serving the devil and doing what you do. And I believe that. I believed I was serving God. I believed I'm a good person. I believed that the devil is who he is. He's the enemy, and I'm never going to serve him. And then Shelley said something that just shattered my world. He said, you say you're not serving the devil, and I say you are, because you're not serving God. And there's only two choices. And at that moment, it was like this veil came off my eyes. And I suddenly realized that everything I had done my whole life to make up for my father walking out on me, everything I had done about power, whether it was physical power or supernatural power, everything that I had done to be in control was a lie. I wasn't in control. I was a puppet. And Satan was pulling the strings. And that began to shake me up and germinate inside of me. And come that Sunday morning, Shelley preached. I don't remember what he preached. I really don't. I do remember I was still a little obnoxious and showed up wearing dress pants and shoes, shirt and tie, and a canary yellow jacket. I'll tell you where I was sitting, the far left-hand corner of the church, the right hand if you're facing from the pulpit. And then the altar call came. And I'm suddenly standing on my feet. Don't remember standing up. Do remember that there are voices inside of me screaming, run, get out of here, leave now. Well, I don't run from anything, so that was a mistake. But then again, I don't remember walking down to the altar. And it was a good distance from where I was standing. I remember kneeling down, far corner of the left side of the pews, right under the pulpit. Brother-in-law John, who was leading the music, left his position and came down, knelt in front of me. Another lesson. Most people would have jumped in with a net and said, let's grab this fish before it gets away. But he didn't do that. He looked at me and said, what are you doing here, Richard? And I looked at him. I could feel the tears welling up in my eyes. He said, I've thrown away the only thing of value I ever wanted in my life. You see, my father walked out when I was six, never looked back. All I ever wanted to do was to be a father, to be a husband, to have a family, and I'd thrown it all away. I'd lost it. I was reliving the sins of my father. And I said, I need a savior. I need someone to fix my mess. And he prayed the prayer of salvation with me. 
somewhere around 1140, 1145 on October 9th, 1988. I made Jesus of Nazareth my Lord and Savior. And I stood up a completely different person. I could, I felt lighter. Everything felt brighter. The people in the church thought that they'd hit me with a uh, spotlight from the cupola because everybody knew who I was. What they didn't know is there was no spotlight. What they were seeing was the darkness that I was enveloped in from all the occult practices I had done were gone. And the Lord gave me back my family. And then he said, hey, come work for me in the family business. And that's what I've been doing since then. I'd love to be able to tell you, I went back to New York and everything got perfect. Well, it didn't. It took some time. Because just like when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and Lazarus came out bound hand and foot, his face covered, Yeshua said, loose him and let him go. That's what happens when somebody gets born again. They need to be able to see and they need to be able to walk. And we got to help them get loose of their grave cloth. But that's not going to happen if you don't have any boldness in you. That's not going to happen if you don't have any compassion and love inside of you. If you just want to judge them and see God kill them or punish them. And so that's what he did. And I left New York, something I thought I'd never do. And I went to Tallahassee to be with my family. And I've been working for him over all these years. See, when you have a testimony, you become dangerous. Because we know that John 11 is, is when Lazarus is called out of the tomb on the fourth day. Well, then you get to John 12, verses 9 and 11. Now, a great many Jews knew that he, Yeshua, was there. And they came, not just for Yeshua's sake only, but they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to kill, to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Yeshua. Your testimony is so powerful because people want to know. They want to know. And the enemy wants to stop it. And he's done a real good job with it. Your testimony makes you dangerous. So I'm a believer. I'm a man of God. I'm a sheepdog of the great shepherd. I'm a warrior. I'm a priest. I have a calling to help people. That's why in 2007... SRT was born, and we take missions for the kingdom of God to set the captives free, destroy the work of the enemy, and to clear areas for the promotion of the gospel. In SRT's scripture, which will take me into the closing part here, Ephesians 5, verses 11 through 14. Take no, Listen, listen, listen. Take no part... In the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. See, what the devil meant for bad, God used for good. And I'm serving him in the family business. And one part of my calling is to expose the darkness. Oh, we confront the darkness. I've, st I've stood toe-to-toes with things that would curl your hair if you had it. I've seen people join us because they think they want to do what we do and their knees buckle. But I don't run from it, I run to it. Because I want to expose the unfruitful deeds of darkness and shine his light for all to see. And that's why this darkness of Halloween. And I know right now many of you are going to tune me out. So be it. If that's what you decide to do, tune me out. But I'm going to tell you the truth and I'm going to do it in boldness. Halloween is darkness. 
colors orange and black. You want to know why? Orange is the harvest. Black is death. No one, no one, no one who calls Yeshua Lord, who claims to be a born-again believer, should be celebrating this demonic holiday, a high holiday in the satanic world. Although it was Christianized by the Roman Catholic Church from the 3rd to 7th century, somewhere in there it got Christianized all Hallow's Eve. It's not what it was. It's a Celtic harvest festival. It's pagan. Its origins go back to the Druids. A harvest festival because November 1st is their new year. It's the end of summer into the winter. The shifting of a season. So they celebrate it from October 31st to November 2nd. Pagan festival of Sawen. It's a final harvest. The Celts believed that the curtain dividing the, the world between the living and the dead during this period of time was lifted so that the dead could walk among the living. And since people didn't want to be possessed by these spirits, they dressed up like dead people and ghosts and spirits. And if that didn't work, they'd put out jack-o'-lanterns and they'd put out things trying to appease these demonic spirits. According to the Encyclopedia Britannica, in ancient Britain and Ireland, the Celtic festival of Samhain, spelled S-A-M-H-I-N, in case you want to know, was observed on October 31st at the end of summer. The souls of the dead were supposed to revisit their homes on this day, and the autumnal festival acquired sinister significance with ghosts, witches, goblins, black cats, fairies, and demons all of all kinds said to be roaming about. It was the time to placate the supernatural powers controlling the processes of nature. In addition, Halloween was thought to be the most favorable time for divinations concerning marriage, luck, health, and death. It was the only day on which the help of the devil was invoked for such purposes. You tell me how anybody who believes in the King of Kings and Lord of Lords should be celebrating a festival whose origins are rooted in that. The Druids dark demonic people. Oh yes, they they say we we believe in the trees and the plants and the mistletoe and all those things. In fact, the the word druid is the priest of the oak cult. Why would you want to do this? Well, we know it's billions of dollars spent every year in candy, and we've tried to sugarcoat it, and the Catholic Church tried to create an alternative to it. But you can't sugarcoat death. You can't sugarcoat rotten things. For somebody like me, Halloween was a special time. It fed the spirit inside of me. And I had somebody say to me once, you remember Joe Citron and I, when we did Reflections in the Dark, every year we did um, things exposing Halloween in the month of October. I've had people say to me, well, that was you and that was Joe and the majority of kids aren't like that. And my response is, so let's say just 1% of the children are at risk. Besides, let's not even talking about the animal sacrifices and the children that go missing on this holiday all across the world. Let's just say 1% of children get seduced by the occult and the supernatural, not just on Halloween, but through all the stuff they're seeing. Would you like your child to be that 1%? Are you willing to risk your child to be that 1%? I'm not. I'm not willing to risk any children. So I have the boldness and the testimony to tell you Halloween is not something anybody who calls Jesus Lord 
should be doing. Halloween is something you should be praying against. And during the 90s, early 90s, the church rose up and we got it kicked out of the schools and we got our kids free from it. And the onslaught of the enemy was so great that the parents backed off, excuse me, and their children grew up and now they do it. I won't. My kids don't. And I will always be an enemy to the enemy. I will always be an enemy to darkness. I will always be the one to stand sword drawn. Name of Yeshua on my lips. Power of the Holy Spirit inside of me to say no. No. So all you parents out there that have tried to placate it, oh, let the kids play. Let them put on their costumes. Let them have their candy. Do your research. See the truth. We need boldness back in the church. We need boldness back to get the captives set free. We need boldness to, to preach to people and tell them the truth. Hey, I don't know what you've heard. I don't know what you've seen. But let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. Restored my marriage. Gave me back my soul. Gave me back my family. Set me free of a lifelong bondage to the occult from the crib. And loved me. And forgave me. And gave me a family. And said, hey son, come work for me. And hundreds of people, he's used me to set them free in his name. I've seen it work. I know that it works. Maybe your testimony is not like mine. So what? It's your testimony. Share it. Let's get bold. Let's get back to basics. And the basics are... We were called to go into the world, make disciples of all men and women, setting them free and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We were called, as I've said now for 30 years, to get people saved, healed, and delivered. We weren't called to build buildings. We weren't called to create denominations. We weren't called to do any of the things we would we do today except tell them about Yeshua, set them free, get their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life, plunder them from the kingdom of darkness. If I stepped on your toes, that wasn't my intention, but I won't apologize for it either. Remember, I said I have a fire in my bones. I have a zeal for my Lord. Let me pray for you now. Father, in the name of Yeshua, the name above all names, I pray that your word has gone forth. I pray that my testimony has done something tonight to somebody to set them free, to get them to turn their back on the things of darkness. Maybe you've stirred somebody up to take a stand. Maybe you've given them a calling. I don't know. But I know your word does not return to you void. It does what you determine for it to do. And I pray that if you've heard this and you're not with the Lord, maybe you're backslidden. Come home. Say, Abba, Father, Papa, I'm sorry. Come home. And if he's not Lord of your life right now, like I did, realize you need a Savior. Make Jesus of Nazareth, Yeshua your Lord and Savior, accept what he did for you on the cross and come into the kingdom of God. And I pray all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you, be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace give you shalom. I'm Richard Grunt. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio. Mm-hmm.